I'm Lisa Mullins, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH in Boston. A United Nations official said today that the conflict in Syria is now a civil war. UN peacekeeping chief Hervé Lassoud told reporters that the Syrian government is fighting to regain control in parts of the country. Throughout this conflict, the Syrian government has kept most foreign reporters out of the country, and those who are allowed in have their movements closely monitored. The BBC's Paul Wood has slipped into Syria undercover several times in the past 18 months. He tells us the Syrian conflict has been morphing into a complex struggle. If you cast your mind back a year now, 18 months now, to the beginning of the Syrian uprising, it seemed a pretty simple story then of people rising up against what was regarded as a very nasty regime, a regime which had not allowed its people freedom over 40 years, and something, therefore, which countries like the United States felt it could pretty unambiguously support. Uh, Now things are a, a little darker there. People are worried that if the rebels, the Free Army, are armed, will that mean somewhere down the line that they commit a massacre of the Alawites, the minority who rules Syria? And there's almost a sense of paralysis by the outside world, and yet... Uh, a great a feeling of great moral pressure to do something because of these uh, these terrible massacres that we're seeing because of the use of heavy weapons against civilian populations. Syria is a very, very difficult problem. Well, that must come into such stark relief when you're on the ground in Syria. And you've been there, correct me if I'm wrong, four times, is it? We were smuggled four times across the border from Lebanon, going there covertly and, to state the obvious, without visas. Uh, and three times into the city of Homs. We couldn't get into Homs the last time. Uh, there's no more opposition presence in Baba Amma, where we went on the previous three visits. So we were trying to go to a place called Haldir, but it was just impossible. So without disclosing anything, obviously, that would put further reporting trips in jeopardy, can you tell us how you're able to move around? Because you must have the help of civilians or members of the Free Syrian Army. Does it work that way? People use a combination of different things. You can pay smugglers who then bribe Syrian security men and and Syrian soldiers. You can go with fighters. You can go with activists. We've tended to go with activists or fighters. We've never paid so far. I think I would trust somebody more who is doing it for ideological reasons. Uh, You sneak between Syrian checkpoints. You go around them. It's getting very, very difficult to cross now. The opposition believe that the Syrian army has put 1,500 soldiers onto that border and 11 tanks. And on the way out, we were stuck for about a week uh, in the orchards, which, which crossed the border and are used as cover for the smugglers, being randomly mortared by the Syrian army with these fighters who were just living off unripe apricots in the orchards. And uh, nothing had moved across that border for a week, not casualties out, not weapons in. And as we were sneaking out, our scouts could see the legs of Syrian army patrols, only about 100, 150 metres away, in the orchards, and I'm not, a, not ashamed to say my legs were literally weak with fear as we, as we made that crossing. If they'd have spotted us, I think they would have opened fire. It would have been very, very difficult. So what did you do? Well, we managed to sneak out. I mean, we'd been waiting for a week. There was, you know, we felt the need to move. It wasn't particularly good sitting in that orchard and being mortared. And I, we were the first people to cross out, I think, for about a week. And similarly, moving around in the country was difficult. We We didn't know, but there was apparently a shipment of anti-tank weapons, the kind of weapon which could really change the balance on the ground, which we were told had come in from Lebanon. So we were driving down this one road, which was the only road we could go down, the uh, the highway around Homs. Uh, you can't go through the countryside there because it's Alawite and Shiite villages. And there were soldiers about every 150 metres randomly stopping vehicles, and we thought then, well, now we're going to get caught. And the activists and the fighters we were with were somewhat taken aback by this heavy presence on the road. They'd never seen anything like it. 
So again, we got stuck for a week at the other end of that road, couldn't move back down the road because of the heavy military presence on it. So all of that gives you an idea that when the Free Army talks, you know, I think there was a piece in the Washington Post a couple of days ago about how well the Free Army is doing, but, you know, they're not doing so well that you don't have to hide out for a week here or a week there. So how do you, when when you're relying so much by necessity, I guess, on activists, those in the Free Syrian Army, these are the rebels, how do you know who you can trust and how do you verify the things that you're told? Maybe give us an example, Paul, of one particular fact of a story that you were trying to prove before you could report it. As for verifying things, I mean, that's the reason why we take these extreme risks or um, you know, reasonably large risks to go there so that we see things for ourselves. I remember when Baba Amma fell back in the first week of March, people were streaming out, uh, going around the official checkpoints, walking for days on foot to avoid the army checkpoints through the orchards and whatnot. And we had all these people screaming at us. They're, they're slaughtering us. They're murdering us. They're cutting our throats. There are bodies in the orchards. My default position, you know, having covered about a dozen wars, is to be extremely cynical, to disbelieve everything initially until it's absolutely proved to me. And we're hearing this stuff for days, uh, and I wasn't reporting it because it didn't seem to me to be the absolutely incontrovertible proof which we needed. Maybe it was hysteria. Maybe it was rumour being retold as fact. Maybe it was propaganda. But uh, we found one family who said that two days ago they had survived one of these massacres. The father, the head of the house, had been working in the fields and hid and was watching from only 100 metres away as they took out his brother, a couple of other male relatives and his 12-year-old son. And we questioned every member of the family. Their stories were consistent. I think I'm almost embarrassed to say we stayed there for four or five hours asking them, tell us again, tell us again, tell us again. And then I said... As we left, God is watching, and uh, if you are lying to us, you know it will be a very bad thing, which is a terrible thing to say because undoubtedly they'd gone through this, but I was so terrified of getting it wrong. This was one of the early massacres which now, unfortunately, are becoming routine. Let's hear a little bit of that report that you're mentioning now. This is a report you filed in March. On Friday, troops took 36 men and boys from one district, they say, killing them all. Rabatullah. My son's throat was cut, she says. He was 12. One soldier held each down with a boot. Another came with a knife, says her husband. He was hiding 50 metres away. I could hear their screams, he says. Can such horror stories be true? Oh, boy. That leaves you in such a position where you have to verify this kind of thing. Could you ever have almost equal access to pro-Syrian civilians? No, and we collectively at the BBC and as journalists need to make a, a big effort to try to get more of the other side of this story. Um, but I think the Syrian government is almost doing itself a disservice because President Assad is still there because he has support and people support him because they're afraid of what might happen if a revolution which appears to be a Sunni-led revolution succeeds, will there be revenge against the Alawites, the Shiites, the Christians? These minorities are sticking to Assad for fear that something worse will come afterwards. And I think that is an entirely reasonable point of view to reflect. And, um, you know, journalists need to do that. But they, <laughs> they need the visas, the official visas to get in to be able to accomplish that. And which, those which uh, they don't are not get. impossible, but they are restrictive, yeah. Paul Wood of the BBC, thank you. Thank you. The BBC's Paul Wood, who has reported undercover in Syria four times in the past 18 months, he hopes to go back.